0: Good morning, church, family, and friends. It's so good to be here with you all, whether that's here in person or, or virtually. Um, I want to thank God for the technology that we have in this modern age. I can even give a shout-out to my son at home. Hey, Ezra, Daddy loves you. I'll see you soon. Um, but yeah, church, just so thankful to be here with you all. Today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. And as you're getting there, church, family, and friends, I just want to take a minute to thank Pastor Sean for leading us in the taking of the Lord's Supper today. See, it's a blessing that we could take the Lord's Supper today, especially because the passage that we're going to look at talks about the Passover. This is a spoiler alert for everyone here. We're going to talk about this in a minute. But Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover meal. And in other words, what what we're going to read today, we now know that that Jesus, in His death on the cross, became the final Passover sacrifice that God's people, past, present, and and future, need to cover their sins and protect them from the impending judgment of God. So, as we look today at the Passover event in Exodus twelve, I just as a as a way of encouragement and, and, and a really initial primary. Uh, means of application let us remember the next time that we take the lord's Supper that that this is our history too what we're going to read in exodus 12 it's our history as well because we are the people of God now I'm going to read exodus 12 a, a couple of verses here verses twenty one through twenty seven uh, not the whole passage yet but we're going to read that and I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump right into the text so church join me in reading. Exodus 12, starting in verse 21, the word of God says this, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel," And the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land, the Lord will give you as he has promised. You shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the egyptians but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshiped church family friends let us bow our heads in prayer father we come to you we thank you god for your word we thank you that we could read it together god we thank you for the opportunity we have to meet together whether it's virtually or in person god god i thank you for the fact that you provided a sacrifice a passover sacrifice for your people thousands of years ago, I thank you for Jesus Christ, as I just mentioned, our final Passover sacrifice. I pray that today, as we read your word, God, that our hearts would be stirred to treasure you more, to treasure your Son, Jesus Christ, more in our hearts, and God, that we would ultimately worship you from it, just as the people of Israel did here in in Exodus 12. I pray, God, as we look at your word, that we would be stirred to um, live out God, your word, live out our faith in the world around us, in this culture, in this climate with so many things going on, so many challenges. God, I pray that you would encourage us by your word today to live for you and for your glory going forth. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Church, the the verses that we just read, they're Moses' instructions to the people about what the Lord has already commanded him. They serve as a summary as what of what has come before in Exodus 12. So let's go back some verses to the start of the chapter and look a little bit more intently at what God is doing. And remember, church, in this glimpse of Exodus, the season that we've been in studying this book, we're seeking to ask two questions of each text that we read together. First question is, what is God doing or how is he at work? And then the second question is, as we read, what we read, how then should we respond to the text the answer to our first question can be summed up with one word church and I don't want you to miss this one word that I'm about to say if you don't get anything else I probably will say it 50 to 100 times I don't know if I'll say it that much but I will say it a lot in this message this one word church don't miss it is redemption God redeems his people in this passage. Then we're going to see God's redemption expressed in three different ways. First, we're going to see that God's work of redemption is expressed in what we now know as the Passover event. It's more than a meal, and we're going to see that in verses 1 through verse 14. Second, we're going to see that God's work of redemption is expressed in what we now know as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It begins with Passover, and it lasts for seven days afterwards. We see that in verses 14 through 20. And lastly, not in the text that we read together this morning, but we see God's work of redemption expressed in the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover sacrifice, of the rituals here, of the feast. And We see that expression through God's own Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So looking first then at God's work of redemption through the Passover, go with me actually back one chapter to, to chapter 11, verse 9. Pastor Travis, I want to thank him for for preaching to us last week. He explained this text to us a little bit. this text it reads then that the Lord so so read chapter eleven verse nine with me it says, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you i e he will not listen to you that I am bringing judgment upon him. I'm going to bring judgment upon Egypt God says that he will not listen to the promise that he's going to destroy Egypt's firstborn. He's already given that promise to Pharaoh. We saw that back in Exodus 4, verses 22 through 23. If Pharaoh didn't let his firstborn go, God's firstborn, Israel, then God was going to destroy Egypt's firstborn. God says that Moses, he says, Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. We have to ask the question, why? Why will Pharaoh not listen to you? He says, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Church family, up to this point in Exodus, there have been nine wonders that God has displayed. Nine plagues that he has cast upon the people in the land of Egypt. Nine expressions of God's judgment on the unrighteous and the unjust Pharaoh. And all of these wonders, all of these plagues, all of these judgments have resulted in one thing, and that is the continual obstinance, the continual hardness of heart of Pharaoh, the political ruler of Egypt. His heart is hardened against God and hardened against the people of God, Israel. He won't let them go. He will give them no justice, no mercy. They're in physical bondage. In oppression to this ruler of the land. The situation for Israel is bleak. And we have to ask the question when we come to Exodus 12, what will it take to break Pharaoh? What will it take for things to be made right for the people of God? These questions in, uh, that we ask of the text here in Exodus 11 and 12, they sound familiar. You see, many in our communities, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in, in this church and in the church universal are asking, and I'm asking, some of the same questions as it relates to the current and the long-lasting injustices of racism. What will it take for these injustices to be made right? What will it take for the system to be made just? We look back at our text then in chapter 12. It's going to take... One more final wonder, one more plague, one more judgment of God that is going to then result in the redemption of his people. And this wonder, it's so extravagant, it's so magnificent, so miraculous that God actually reorients his people's understanding of time around this event. He tells his people that this wonder that he's about to enact is so glorious that the Hebrews actually have to create a whole new calendar system based off of this one event. Could you imagine if God did that today? That, that God does something miraculously so powerful, so majestic that we change our entire calendar system to be revolved around that, to remember that at the start of every year. This is what God does for the people of Israel. Look with me at, at verse one of chapter 12, church. Word of God says that, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. God is saying to Israel, everything else that's to follow in your calendar year, it flows from this event. It flows from remembering what I am going to do, what I am doing, what I have done. Do not forget Israel. Remember your Lord. Remember your Lord. For the people of Israel, there's an immediate glimmer of redemptive hope expressed here. The mark of a new year for them to hold on to it foreshadows their imminent deliverance from their bondage of slavery and oppression in Egypt. Redemption is coming, and it's coming through a sacrifice and a meal. Look at verse three with me. We're gonna read here for a little bit. In verse three, it says that the Lord instructs Moses and Aaron. He says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household." Then they, the people of Israel, shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and in the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. its head with its legs and its inner parts. And all the kids right now are saying, ew. But verse 10, you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning or could remain, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Church, what we just read is the instructions for the sacrifice and the meal. But read with me the purpose for the sacrifice and the meal in verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgments. I and the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Church, through the Passover event, God prepares and positions his people for their redemption, and we're going to see this a little bit more distinctly by looking at the details of the two passages that we just read together. One of the first details I want us to look at is God's redemptive work in accordance with the specific details of time here in these verses. We already mentioned the whole new calendar system that God initiates for His people, but for the Hebrew people, the timing of eating this meal and the Passover event and and what happens right after the Passover event, the exodus, it's even more significant. Verses 40 through 42 of chapter 12 show us that this Passover was the precursor event to the Exodus, which occurred on the same night, 430 years prior when the people of Israel started staying in the land of Egypt, started their sojourning process in the land of Egypt. 430 years to the day, to the night, God at the right time literally executed his judgment to deliver his people. The Apostle Paul and in 2 Corinthians 6.2, he comments on God's perfect timing, quoting Isaiah 49.8. He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you, speaking of God. And just as with Israel Church, I want us to know that God presently, he hears your prayers, he hears your pleas, he hears your cries to him in all things, even now in this present time. And in two things in particular that are poignantly pressing today, he hears and sees and cares for your fears concerning COVID and the processing of emotions concerning the racial injustices in this nation and really all around this world. He sees your tears. He knows your pain. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to hold fast. Hold fast to the hope and the faith that we have in God because he does care and he does work. For his people in his perfect timing. The second way that we see God's plan of redemption is in the specific instructions for the sacrifice. You see, unlike unlike the, the other nine wonders, this final plague of judgment, it actually included the people of Israel as well. It was against all the land of Egypt. It was against the power structures surrounding the false gods of Egypt, including the God wannabe Pharaoh himself. Because of this total inclusiveness, everyone that this wonder was to impact was to see that only Yahweh, only God, the God of Moses and Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, only He can save and only He can grant life. Only He has the authority to to take life and to give life. Only He is deserving of full trust and worship and to have to have the Lord pass over them. In this final wonder, the Hebrews were to choose a specific sacrifice. One that it was without blemish, a male, a year old. You see these specific details of the specific sacrifice. They communicate that the sacrifice was more than just a physical deliverance. It's actually a spiritual deliverance. They were to sacrifice as close as possible a pure and undefiled lamb to appease the wrath of God's judgment upon them too. For they, even though that they were oppressed, they too were guilty in their sin before God. They needed redemption physically, yes but they also needed redemption spiritually as well. This truth becomes even more clear in the way that they were to spread the lamb's blood on the doorposts and on the, on the lentils. They were to use the hyssop branch according to verse 22 of chapter 12. And in Leviticus 14, Numbers 19, and Psalm 51, and other places in the Old Testament, we come to understand that hyssop was used in the purification practices later in the nation of Israel. So therefore, using his appearance in Exodus 12, the people swore to spread the blood as a covering on the doorframe of their home, signifying that the pure blood of another, another living being covered them from the judgment of God. God's redemption plan for his people is carried to completion by this substitutionary sacrifice. We see God's then redemptive plan at work next through the specific instructions for preparing and eating this meal they were to roast the whole lamb without breaking any of its bones according to verse 46 with the addition of bitter herbs and eating the unleavened bread this manner of preparing a meal was non-traditional for the hebrew people you think of of eating a meal together a feast together you think that it takes time to prepare a, a good meal for one another i I encountered this this past weekend. I was um, in the Georgia mountains with some of my buddies, and we smoked a brisket. And it, we started at 9 a.m. in the morning until 7 p.m. at night, literally all day preparing this wonderful meal that we had. And I'm sorry if that makes your mouth water right now, but it took time. But here we, we see that God's communicating something different by the preparation that these Hebrew people are going to take in preparing the meal we see that God is communicating a sense of hurriedness and haste that they're to eat the meal in and to be finished in. And notice, too, that this meal is supposed to be sufficient for the entire household, even sometimes the neighbors. Nothing was to be left over. It was all to be consumed, to be burned up, which communicates to the people as they are getting this instruction that their deliverance is soon, because God wants them to know, hey, be ready. I'm about to do something, and I want you to be in a position where you can join me in my plan of redemption. Then lastly, we see that there are specific details for the nature and the atmosphere of eating this meal. The people were to eat. They were to eat dressed and ready to leave their homes at a moment's notice. They didn't have their J's or their slides on. They didn't have yoga pants on, and their mirrors were already wiped down, if you didn't get that reference. Uh, you're probably better for it. But their mirrors were already wiped down. They were ready to go. Their belts were fastened. Their non-rainbow dad sandals were on their feet. Their staffs were in their hands. And they were eating haste so that when the Lord's judgment fell upon Egypt, they wouldn't be caught still eating, but ready to join God in his salvation plan, ready to leave everything from their former lives behind to travel in the night by a full moon's light, fleeing the oppression of Egypt. I don't know about y'all, church, but it would be hard for me if all I ever knew 430 years was my history in the land of Egypt as being living in bondage and slavery. It would be hard for me to trust that God was going to do something miraculous for me. It would be hard for me to step out in faith that God had something better for me, that His plan of redemption for me was not just physical, but Spirit was not just spiritual, but but it was physical and emotional and mental. But verse 27 and 28 of our text this morning, it shows us this is exactly what the people of Israel did. When they got this instruction, they trusted God. They worshiped. They took him at his word. And I believe they took him at his word because of what God does and what God says in verse 12. He gives his seal of confirmation that he will act in this way, that he will guarantee their deliverance. He gives his name. He says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. The people, they had no other choice but to obey and to worship him. They have seen him do nine other wonders. They can trust that he is going to keep his word here. They trust in his plan of redemption. But it's hard, church, right? It's hard to trust in the Lord at times. We know that God redeems. We've seen him redeem. We even believe in the redemption he's brought us through his son, Jesus Christ. But we'll, but do we trust him? Do we believe that he's going to redeem us now? Is, do we believe that he's going to redeem the culture, the politics, people with different spiritual affiliations, different religions? Is he going to bring redemption to the healthcare system? Can we trust God now? Can you trust him? Can I trust him? I think honestly, generally, we all want to trust God now, and I think we can trust Him now. I think that we can trust in His redemptive plans in all of these arenas of life, because as I look to the plight of the Hebrews in Exodus 12, and I look at the Lord's instructions here for the Passover event, it leads me to have a three-part hope that I want to share with you all, church. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but this hope is, is first that we can trust in God's plan of redemption for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was sacrificed for us on the cross. And because of that, we've been made righteous by the shedding of his own blood before our holy God. Second, it leads us to a hope that we can have a hope along with the many authors of the New Testament. They had a hope in the second coming of our savior, Jesus Christ. Because whatever happens here on this earth, Christ will ultimately restore In his second coming, I was reminded this past week in our community group, we just started reading Hebrews 1, um, or really the book of Hebrews, but we're in Hebrews 1. And and in Hebrews 1, verse 13, uh, the writer there reminds us that that when Jesus comes again, all of his enemies will be a footstool for his feet. That means that all racial injustices will finally have ended, that all disease and viruses will finally have ceased, That everything else that is broken and wrong in this world will be a footstool. All of Christ's enemies will be a footstool when He comes again. Which means that all pain and all suffering that we experience, you and I experience now, Christ will bring restoration to us in and through. And and the New Testament authors, they write to us that, that Christ is coming is soon. And so, let us hope in this second way. And then third, Christ exclaims to us that His kingdom... When he was here on earth, he exclaims that his kingdom is here, it's at hand. We see him in his earthly ministry bringing kingdom-like redemption to things in his culture and things in his context, both politically and socially. But we see it also, he brings redemption racially and environmentally and in many more ways. From that reality, I want to encourage you, church, to take advantage of what I like to call redeeming our time and redeeming our culture. We can be like Christ in expanding his kingdom by participating in activities that bring racial and political and, and, and social and environmental redemption. And understanding that they, they're temporary, but they're leading to an eternal form of redemption. Just, and, and, and we do all this as we wait in faith, trusting in the Lord for that ultimate redemption. For that ultimate restoration where he will come again and, and make all things that are broken new and perfect again, so let us hope and trust that the Lord that He will act just as He promised in our day as He did in Exodus 12. But with that being said, looking back at our text in this passage of chapter 12 church, we see that God's plan of redemption is is always multifaceted. We just saw this expressed in the details of the Passover event, but picking up on one key detail of the Passover meal itself, the Hebrews are to eat. We see that God's plan of redemption continues in what is expressed as the feast of unleavened bread. In verses 14 through 20, we see that Moses and Aaron, they instruct the people preemptively to institute a practice for future generations, commemorating or looking back to in remembrance the final judgment on Egypt and their consequent redemption by God in the Exodus. This instruction is given before the Passover event even takes place which serves to give even more hope to the people of Israel that God's going to redeem them. Because just ask, why would he give them plans uh, uh, to have a feast in future generations if he wasn't going to deliver them? And so church, just like with the Passover, I want to look again at a few specifics of this feast in order to more clearly see God's plan of redemption for his people. First, this this feast is given meaning back in verse 8. Um, the people were instructed to eat unleavened bread with the meal. And the immediate purpose for that was that it would cut down on time for preparing the meal because preparing leavening bread, leavened bread would have caused the Hebrew people to essentially miss their opportunity to exit Egypt. Verse 34 says that the people departed from their homes before their dough was even leavened. So if they had waited for the dough to leaven, They would not have left in time. There was no time for the leavening process. Second, we see that this feast is given meaning as it spans over seven days after the Passover meal. Verse 39 of chapter 12, it says that the people took with them unleavened cakes for their journey out of Egypt. Unleavened bread is what sustained the people as they fled in their exodus, in God's redemptive plan for them. And so for a week then, people are to remember in in faith that uh, it is that as they partake of the 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 le- the unleavened bread for a week, they're to remember Exodus 13 9 where God says that with a strong hand the Lord brought them out of Egypt. See the Lord provided all that they needed in his plan of redemption. and then this piece is also it's given a spiritual meaning which we see by looking at verses 15 and 19 through 20. See if anyone were to eat the unleavened, were to eat the leavened bread during this time, they would be cut off or removed from the family of God. But why? Why, if the people were to to eat leavened bread versus unleavened bread, why would they be removed from the chosen family of God? Obviously, it would be a direct sin of disobedience against God. But but even then, why the severity of the consequence? We see the answer to this question by learning that in the rest of the Old Testament, leaven is symbolically associated with sin or impurity and uncleanliness. As Christians, this spiritual symbolism, it becomes even more clear in the New Testament through the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, verses six through eight. Speaking against sin and, and the acceptance of it in the church, Paul says, do you not know, Christian, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be made a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, the festival of unleavened bread, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. For Paul, followers of God through Christ are actually personified as unleavened pieces of bread. So for the Hebrew people, they were not to eat leavened bread because it spiritually represents the unrighteousness. And, and the the oppression and the unjustness and the, the wickedness, the sinfulness of Egypt, its base culture and practices, they were not to uh, realign themselves with their former uh, former captives, captors, uh, after they had been redeemed by God. This is this is why, if the people were to partake of leavened bread in this feast. That they would be cut off from the family of God because God in his redeeming process is making them his own people. He's communicating that they are holy and righteous and worthy of redemption and therefore they're not to go back to partaking of their old, uh, the, the ways of their old culture that they lived in. Then lastly, God shows in his redeeming actions through the feast of unleavened bread that his plan of redemption is not just for ethnic Israel. It's for every people, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. We get just a small glimmer of this truth in verse 19. The sojourner, i.e. the non-Hebrew, who has submitted himself or herself to Yahweh, is welcome to partake of this feast, this Passover meal, according and the Passover meal according to verses 47 and 49. There's no distinction uh, in the commands for the native Hebrew and the foreigner. As Moses and Aaron instruct the people here, God's people were to understand then and forevermore that all the privileges, the rights, and responsibilities associated with the Passover, the Exodus, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread are all applied to all people from all nations who submit themselves in worship to the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Church, this was true then, and it's true now. God's plan of redemption extends to all people From all nations, from all tribes, from every tongue, every language. In Exodus 12, then, church, we see God's work of redemption expressed in the Passover and in the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. But we see another glorious work of God's redemption, not here in chapter 12 itself, but we see it as everything in chapter 12 points forward to the New Testament, to God's ultimate plan of redemption for his people through his son, Jesus Christ. The verses that we just read and studied together, they're littered with theological types of Christ or or elements that have the nature of being uh, fulfilled twice. For example, the sacrifice itself or the spreading of blood on the doorposts, those those are things fulfilled in the context of Exodus 12. But they speak to an ultimate, an ultimate fulfillment in and by Jesus Christ. All of these theological types, all of these elements, they culminate in Jesus' substitutionary atoning sacrifice on the cross for our sins, which is really the most needed form of redemption for all of humanity. Because all of humanity has sinned before God. And we know that our sin deserves punishment. It deserves judgment, just like the sins of Pharaoh and Egypt and Israel in Exodus twelve. The ultimate punishment that all people deserve is death. This is what the Bible tells us in Romans six twenty three. The judgment that we owe, that that the judgment that that we uh, have before God, that the penalty that we owe to God is death. But our our loving and holy God, He sent His own unblemished son to die as a final sacrificial lamb for us not a bone in his body was broken in order that his blood the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross would cover our sin so that the wrathful judgment of God which is eternal death would pass over us granting us eternal life with him and freedom from the slavery of sin now and forevermore and all those who repent of their sins and place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ are benefactors of his substitutionary atoning sacrifice just as the people of Israel were in Exodus 12. We have, those of us who trust in Jesus Christ, have guaranteed eternal redemption according to Hebrews nine twelve and Romans 5, 8 through 9. This is the amazing work of redemption that God planned before time began that he carried out in Exodus 12 and has carried out now, in the pages of the New Testament, it's the all fill wonder of his final judgment upon Egypt. As he passed over Israel uh, in, in Exodus 12, he does and will forever pass over all those who are covered by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus, all are made righteous. All have been redeemed. All have been set free, purified from dead works to serve the living God, according to Hebrews 9.14. So let us, church family and friends, rejoice in God's redemption of his people through his son Jesus Christ and let us respond to it in several practical ways for this is the answer to our second question which we started with this morning how after reading what we just read how do we respond and so friends first I I want to invite you if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ then I want to invite you to do that today See, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross for your sins, that your sins may be forgiven and passed over before God. You can pray to receive Christ today, friends, right where you're at, wherever you're at, whether it's at home, whether it's here. And you can do that as I pray in just a moment. Call out to God. Confess that you're a sinner to God. Accept Jesus' forgiveness for you. Commit to trust in God and walk in obedience to all that God commands going forward. And then church family, believers in here today, the encompassing application of this text is twofold. I mentioned it at the beginning. First is that whenever we take the Lord's Supper, let us remember Christ as our Passover lamb, our Passover sacrifice. Let us repent of our sins when we come to the table. Let us go forward as we eat the meal, seeking to live obediently, seeking to live lives that are set apart from our old ways of living, from the ways of this world, all while doing so to the glory of Christ alone. The other application is this. I mentioned it a little bit ago, that as we live day by day, let us trust in the Lord. Let us trust in his plan of redemption that he has already started and will carry into completion. Let us trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Let us remember and look to his second coming. And and as we do that, as we look to his second coming, let us be active and faithful now to spread the kingdom of Jesus by involving ourselves in ways that bring kingdom-like redemption to the different arenas of our lives. And as we, as we seek to spread the kingdom of God in these different arenas, let us go spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to every people from every ethnicity, every religion, every identity that they um, put themselves in, spreading the gospel to them as we seek to bring Uh, a glimpse of god's eternal redemption here on earth as it will be one day in heaven may christ get the glory church as we do this together let us pray father we come to you we thank you for this day we thank you for your word god i thank you for the passover sacrifice ultimately fulfilled in your son jesus christ thank you for covering us with your Son's blood, making us righteous, holy, pure before you. I pray that, Lord, we would live in light of that, that we would seek to be holy and pure in all of our ways. We would seek to spread your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. May we look to the second coming of Jesus Christ in these days, in this culture, in this time that we live in, Lord, where there's so much brokenness. May we be active, in being disciples who make disciples. So we treasure you, Christ, we pray. These things in your son, Jesus' name, God, amen.